If you could uh, remain standing for the reading this morning, we're reading in Revelation 3, 14 through 22. It's the last of the seven churches. Mike was very kind in leaving me the, the best for last here, for those of you that don't know. When he first asked me to do it, I was like, yeah, okay, that's going to be great, because like, I think it's a word for our time. And then I really got to thinking about it. I was like, this is going to be the first time I get up and preach in front of everybody, and it's not the nicest message. So, <laughs> Oh, well, here we go. Hate me or love me, I'm here, so. <laughs> yeah. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the doors, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant to him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Well, Father God, Lord, a desperate word for desperate times. Holy Spirit, I just welcome you in this place, Lord. Just use me as your vessel, Lord. May not one word come out of my mouth that is not of you, Lord God. Lord, I just pray that you would open the hearts, soften the hearts of stone, Lord. Open up the minds, Lord. Lord, any stiff necks, Lord, loosen. Lord, that we may hear what you're saying to us today, both individually, Lord, as in the church. That we could know what you are saying to us, Holy Spirit, and act on it. That we could do your will and just glorify your kingdom. Holy Spirit, just come in and rest in this place right now, Lord. Fill this room. Just convict the hearts, Lord God. And it's in the mighty name of King Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Um, so yeah, like I said this morning, lots of different changes. You know, new guy on the block, so there's going to be some difference. The notes, obviously, were not fill-ins, so you're not sitting here trying to find the answer. Um, that used to be me when I was in school. I would just go in the back of the book, find the glossary, get the word, fill it in, boom, done, got my homework done. Didn't learn a thing that way. So um, when I went back to college, uh, there was a memory expert I was following, and he was talking about just draw the line in the middle, on the left or right side, however you want to do it, but is what the facts are, what's being said, and then the other side is what's your thoughts on it, what it means to you, what it's speaking to you. 
And I couldn't find just one verse. I know that's a lot right there, but I couldn't find just one. It was all good. So um, there's more room on the backside of that for notes. So let's see. <laughs> in, uh, in the glorious planning of man, you know, we came in yesterday and had the, put the PowerPoint on and I had everything set up on my laptop and everything was great. And then you switch from PC to a Mac and everything gets screwed up. And um, yeah, and then everybody did a dry run the other day and everything worked. And then this morning things got a little different too. So we'll see how it goes. Um, I must apologize when I did this on my laptop. It was much easier to see when I teach. I'm only about this far back from the screen rather than, you know, all the way in the back. So I know for some of you that's going to be hard to see, but I apologize for that. Um, give me some grace on it. Um, other than that, any complaints about the message, you can contact any of the elders or Mike at 805. <laughs> I mean, I just wanted to use that one. That was, uh, they, they decide to bring me on board, so this, any of the blame goes to them. So, <laughs> Just kidding. We love you guys. Thank you for your service. Um, okay. Forgive me, this is new technology I'm using, so I'm used to having a little clicker. Oh, there we go. All right, so a little history of the, the church in Laodicea. It was a, uh, a banking, in, uh, banking city. It was in between two of the major imperial trade routes for Rome, so all the wealth came in and through there. So out of the seven churches, it was the wealthiest. See, all these were supposed to go in sequence, and now they're all messed up, so we'll see how this goes. It was also a, uh, one of the things it was known for was being a, uh, a medical school was built there that had two things in particular. It had a, an ear nard and also a eye salve, which was uh, spread across the known world at the time and was um, highly regarded in the area. And it was created from a powder specifically from... Uh, minerals in the region. Another big export that they had there was wool, and particularly the black sheep. Was a, uh, it was a very soft, nurtured uh, wool that was, it's still known to this day for, in the area for that as well. So after the, uh, the earthquake that we've been hearing about where all the other cities were destroyed, the Church of Laodicea was the only one that rebuilt their own city without any imperial help. They said, no, we got this. We got enough wealth. We can do it on our own. We don't need any outside help. Very uh, prideful. They, um, all the other churches received imperial help from Rome to help in, uh, in the reconstruction of their cities. So that was supposed to, I think that's the only slide that really messed up. So we can see here Laodicea, it's right in between Heropolis and the church of, or the town of Colossae, and it's, um, it's kind of one of the main points in why it was a lukewarm church. The mineral springs that came up, these are the middle, mineral springs that were in Heropolis, and as they went down and went through the valley, as we see in this next picture, 
That in the far background there is where the minerals started and the water was hot. And then by the time it got to Laodicea, it was lukewarm. And then back in, in Colossae, further down about seven miles, they had cold water springs that came up. So it had hot on the top, cold on the bottom. Laodicea was right in the middle, lukewarm. And uh, thank you to Joel Bakan. He actually went through and he was in this region uh, last November, I believe. And he gave me these pictures. These were taken by him. And he actually walked me through it in some of the history of it. So it was really neat. So thank you, Joel. So to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. And throughout the seven churches, God, Jesus just speaks of his authority, you know, and this is the last one, the amen, the true, the complete. What is said is complete and true with all authority. Jesus is the last word. He is the first and the last word. And the one that is faithful and true, this is also referred to later on when Jesus returns in the end of Revelation. He is the one faithful and true. He is faithful to what he says. He is faithful to what he will do, both, both the blessings and the judgments. He is going to be faithful in what he says. And that's something I think we need to take to heart because we, we tend so much to want to lean on the blessings of Christ and the healings and the prosperity and all the good things that we want from Christ, but we forget that he's also a God that's bringing judgment and a God that's bringing the wrath on the world. You know, we, we tend to forget about that. You know, the, the image of Jesus is so much, you know, as I was growing up in the church, just kind of the hippie Jesus, you know, peace, love, you know, long, straightened white hair, white garments, you know, very, very nice. But when you read in Revelation, it's, it's not that Jesus that we see depicted in the church. It is a Jesus whose white robe is dipped in blood from the wrath that he pours out on the nations for their sin, for the rebellion against God. And he's, he's going to be faithful to what he says. You know, all the culmination, the Bible from the beginning to the end all leads to the day of the Lord's return. And he is going to come back and he is going to be faithful to what he says. And he is true to his word. So this is the one where, you know, people get, it's, uh, it's harsh words. In all, the, in all the churches, Jesus had some, some good words to say, you know, something nice. Hey, you have this, I have this against you, but you're doing this. Good job. The church of Laodicea doesn't get that. It just gets this. I know your works, for that you are neither cold nor hot. It is better to be either cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. In another translation, it says, vomit you out of my mouth. Just that. I resisted in putting up the picture of somebody actually projectiling out. <laughs> I really wanted to, but I held back on it. The spirit constrained me. Just, um, but in those words, you know, they didn't have, it doesn't talk about the evil, you know, when the other ones is talking about the synagogue of Satan and the sexual immorality and the, the sins, the evilness in the churches. Laodicea doesn't talk about that. He talks about you're lukewarm, you're indifferent, you're eh, you know, you're kind of just sitting in the middle, you know, it was, and out of all the churches, all the evils that they were a part of, all the things that the other churches were a part of, 
the harshest words and the lack of encouraging words as to the final church, the church in Laodicea, which was lukewarm, which was just going through the motions. I found that interesting that that there was nothing, there was nothing good until the end where he says, if you repent. So in the cold water, you know, it, it has its purposes. It will slow bacteria growth in cold water. It'll soothe burns and wounds. It refreshes. Lukewarm water enhances bacteria growth. It is a festering ground for bacteria. It tastes terrible. On a hot day, lukewarm water is just does not cut it. And I was thinking of lukewarm coffee, and I was like, eh, that doesn't, doesn't do it for me. I've been, been on this meat, meat-only diet for the last few months, and I like my meat either hot or cold. Like, I can eat it cold or hot, but if you just, like, barely nuke it, and it's a little, you know, kind of hot on the outside, and you bite into it, and you just get the cold fat, and it's just, ah. That was what it, like, it wasn't the lukewarm water, but that meat, it was just like, ugh. So that, that's how it related to me, and I think that's that terrible taste that I'm talking about. It just, I, I decided I couldn't, if I didn't have time to, he, to heat it up properly, I would just eat it cold. And it leaves a desire for something else, too. You know, when you're really thirsty, like just that lukewarmness, it doesn't, doesn't quench your thirst. It doesn't truly satisfy. I was thinking, too, about just, I, I grew up, in the Sierra's bite. <laughs> Just leave him. Just leave him. He'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't know there was two preachers on the stage today, did you? <laughs> How did you get out? <laughs> For those of you that don't know, this is the greeter Wayne. So. <laughs> All right. Uh, he knew I needed. Co- hey, where are you going? All right. So, anyway, you, you, can't, you can't plan that one out. Uh, so, when I grew up in the Sierras, you know, it would get hot, triple digits, and the river that I went to was fed by the glacier out of Yosemite, in the Merced River, and uh, that was where I spent my summers, was in the river. And it was just something, so it was just hot and sweaty, my truck didn't have air conditioning, and you go and you jump in that nice cold water, and it was just like, oh, I still... That's one of my favorite memories, and it's still one thing I long for when I go back. I went back this last time, but with the amount of snow we had, it was way too cold to go jump in there. So it was a point of refreshing and then torture. So So then the hot water, you know, when when we go out camping or we need stuff purified, we can boil it, right? And that kills germs, actually cleanses and purifies. So when I was first... You know, I've always saw myself when, in my other life that I lived in the past, one day you'll get to hear my testimony, but the life of the prodigal son and all the things that come with it. And I was raised in the church, and I saw the hypocrisy of the church, and I didn't want anything to do with it. I hit hit 18, moved down here, and I said, I'm done with church. I'm done with that. And But I knew the word, you know. I still had the fear of the Lord in me. And I did everything I could with music and alcohol and everything else in the world that I could to quiet the sound of my voice that the Lord was calling me and continuing to say, come back to me. 
And I always thought of this lukewarm, you know, the hot or cold. Okay, you're either hot, that's good, and cold is bad. But it's actually both have their purposes. It's the in, in the middle that has no purpose. It's the sitting on the fence. It's riding the fence. It's, it's one foot in, one foot out. That's what Jesus is talking about here, I think. It's not whether you're cold or hot. Both have their purposes. But it's the lukewarmness that doesn't have the purpose, that doesn't serve any good. And as we saw in the church of Laodicea, where it was located, it was right there in the middle, right in that center stage. Heropolis was hot, Colossae was cold, and they both served purposes, but the church in Laodicea didn't. In James 1.27, it says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in the affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. You know, are we just going to church? Are we just checking off the boxes that we did it? You know, are we going out there and we changing the world in our community? Now, this is something that, that we all should be aware of, of what we're, what we're doing in our day-to-day lives, you know. For a long time, when I came back here, I was doing that, you know. I lived a couple blocks away. God was calling me back to church. But I would sit in the back, and as soon as the last song was over, I was gone. Didn't say hi to anybody, see you, bye-bye, I'm here, I checked my box, I'm doing good, right? I came to church, Lord, I did good. I'm not doing bad, I'm not drinking anymore. So I came to church, so hey, I'm, I'm good, I got my, my box checked. But all throughout the Bible, God calls us to more. He calls us to be above and beyond what the world sees. He calls us to step out of our comfort zone and to reach the, the lost and the hurting and the downtrodden. And verse 17, for you say that I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I mean, they had it all, right? They didn't, need, they didn't even need Rome's help. Rome was the center of the world back then. Rome was the America of the day. Everybody looked to them. They always shelled out the money when people needed it. When there was natural disasters, Rome was... Rome was the one you called on for help. And they say, we don't even need Rome. We're that prosperous. We have everything going on. And how do we look in, in the church in America, you know? We got everything good. We got all our churches. We got things going on. We got, we got a coffee lounge and, you know, disco balls and fog machines and whatever else you can put into a church. This is uh, just an interesting chart I've found on the amount of banks in the world. So it's, it's hard to see. USA is number one with roughly 4,200 banks, and then Russia is the next closest with a, a few hundred. You know, we don't have need for money, right? We got everything figured out. You know, here on the Central Coast, Mike uh, shared a while back about the most postmodern areas in the country. We're number nine out of the entire nation. Postmodern meaning we don't need God. We, haven't, we don't need God anymore. You know, as we grow into this technological era and the woke movement and everything else, like it's just, it's more and more just saying that I got this, man's got this. We got it all figured out. We got all this science. We got technology. We got AI. We don't need God, you know? 
the area it talked about was from Santa Barbara, Santa Maria, and San Luis Obispo, this whole area on the central coast. There's a lot of money here. It's perfect weather for the most part. You know, in areas, you go a couple hundred miles inland and it's scorching hot right now. People don't want to go outside. We got everything here, especially in the five cities. I was in Atascadero last week and it was 100 degrees at 10.30. You come down the hill, get in the five cities, boom, perfect weather. Man, it's nice. I used to work out in that heat and it wasn't fun. But what does that give us? It gives us an attitude of complacency where we just, oh, you know, I went to church today. Everything's good, man. I didn't, I didn't get sunburned today. I got money. You know, we complain about money and rent here on the Central Coast. Man, what we have here compared to the rest of the, the nation and the world, we have it all. We have it all. There's a reason people fill up Pismo and the dunes coming from the valley so much. And we, we tend to say certain things about tourists that come to the area, but those are people that are living in an area that is not fun to be in. The air is poison, the weather sucks, the scenery's not the greatest, and they want to escape from it, and they come here. And we just kind of take it for granted because we've, we've been here. We, we either grew up here, we lived here, you know, and we just we take it for granted. And we've, we've gotten so complacent. You know, I think the, the religion, I think, is really what Jesus was pointing to here versus the relationship with Christ. You know, you read throughout the Bible, who does Jesus have the harshest words for? Anybody know? The Pharisees, right? All throughout it, you know, the sinner, the woman at the well in adultery, all the sinners, the tax collectors he's with, he's sitting down and eating with those people. But when the religious people, the people in the church that know the law in and out, backwards and forwards, and claim to be living through the law, those are the people Jesus is calling hypocrites and fools, You know, I have to watch myself sometimes in being the prodigal son and coming back now into redeemed life in Christ where I don't become the prodigal brother and get a hardened heart and not go into the house and dine with the father because I can get that self-righteousness in me. Oh, man, I'm doing good now. I'm not doing that. Good for me. I'm going to church. I'm doing churchy things. You know, I have to fight that constantly. My pride. You know, what are, what are we reflecting to the rest of the world? There was a while back, I went through an online Bible course during COVID. And in it, there was a Iranian man who grew up in the Bay Area. And he, through a miraculous story, God found him, got a hold of his heart. And he was called to go to Iran. Well, he met an Iranian woman who... Jesus got a hold of and came and saw her in person and saved her life from committing suicide. And this man, he was Bay Area, had a tech job, had the house, had all the things. You think of the wealth of the Silicon Valley, he had it all. He went to Iran, found his wife. They both both moved back. Six months into living in the States, you know, people come from all over the world, they want to be here in America. Whether we, we think it's a great nation or not, the rest of the world sees what we have here and they want it. Well, she came back from a place where women are persecuted, women are downtrodden, they have no rights. Being a Christian in a land where the name of Jesus is illegal and will put you to death and rape as a woman. 
And she came back here, and in six months, she said, I want to go back to Iran. And he's like, I got the six-figure job. We got the house. Like, we got a good church. And this just hit me to my core of, she said, the church here is in a satanic lullaby. You know? And that just hit me. Because we, we, we go to church. Like I said, I'm guilty of it. Where we get caught up in the motions of just going through church and what that looks like. And they went back to Iran. And they started for, I don't know if it still is, but for a while there, Iran was the fastest growing church in the world. In a place where it is hated the most. That's just showing what, what God will do when we're willing to surrender and go all in for him. You know, we wonder why in America the, the world's in the, the, the country is in the state that it's in. It's the church. God blessed it in the beginning because we, we stood on Christ, we stood on his principles. And those have slowly been eroded over the years, and the church has been eroded over the years. You know, in Second Chronicles, when it says, if my people will repent and humble themselves and cry out to me, I will hear from heaven and heal their land. Now, it doesn't say the world. That doesn't say all the people living in the streets, going, going to the bars, doing the pride thing. That's not those people. He said, if my people, that's the Christians, that's those in the church. If those people repent, God will heal the land. If the church, the lukewarmness will repent, God will heal the land. In Luke 12, 19, it's the, the parable of the rich man. And he's, he's built up his barns. He tore down his barns and he built bigger barns so he can fit more stuff into them, so he can have more prosperity. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. It's in verse 17, he was saying, you say you're rich, but you're poor. You're pitiable, you're naked. In verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see you know they had everything they had all these things right what they have they had the banks the eye salve the medicine and the wool they had all those things but God obviously was talking to their spiritual aspect. They had all the worldly things. They had all the possessions. But they had nothing inside. They had no relationship with the king. You know, to buy our wealth is worthless. You know, we can't buy these things from God with material wealth. We can't buy from him any of the gifts of the spirit. We can't buy peace, we can't buy love, we can't buy joy, patience. All of our money in that aspect means nothing. 
but we can go to him through prayer, through the word, through fellowship with one another. That's how we buy things from God. We go to him with, with a repentant and contrite heart that wants to do it not for the blessings, but do it just to seek the king and just to be a part of what the father has for us. That's another thing I see in, in the church so much is just this coming to the church for prosperity, coming to get the prophetic word or the healing or the, the material blessings of the prosperity. You're coming for the wrong reasons. Coming for Christ, coming to have a relationship. That's what he wants. I counsel you. This is the almighty God of the universe. And he's saying he wants to counsel us, not, hey, come in here and sit down. I got to tell you something. He could do that. He could force us into things. He could demand that we listen. And in parts he does. But in here he's asking, it's almost like a plea. Like I counsel you, please come to me. I can tell you these things. I can give you these riches that are way beyond any of the riches we can ever imagine. But we focus on the material so much, especially in this nation. We're a land of plenty. We don't need anything, you know? Blind to our own spiritual awareness, you know? I got to work on that myself my self-righteousness, where I get so caught up and I'm doing good things. I go to church. I don't swear. I don't drink. I don't do this. I don't look at me. I'm doing good. And I forget that the only reason that I'm doing good is because Jesus Christ found mercy in his heart to save me. That's the only reason we have anything. Anything good is from the Father. Whether we see it as that or not, everything we have is because God allowed us to have it. What are we doing with it? Are we using the, the material things that he has given us for personal gain? Are we doing it for our 401ks, the jobs he's given us, so we can have a retirement and go to some nice vacation somewhere, go to Cabo for the weekend? have the white picket fence and the two-car garage? Is that what we're using? Or are we using it to help people out and further the kingdom of God? We were naked. They had all the wool. And I, I find it interesting in the con. He's, all this verse is contrasting what they have to what they don't have. You know, the white garments, what were they? What was the most popular export there? The wool. What color was the wool? Black. The opposite of white. The opposite of pure. Darkness. He's contrasting all these things to show him just the vanity of what they have. That everything they have is for nothing. <laughs> so, I'm a, a welder by trade. And there's been a few times where I've been in like board shorts and flip-flops. And I'll go in and do some welding. And I'm used to having my gear on because it's hot, it burns, you don't want to, you know, you don't go in board shorts and flip-flops, go away to get a hot one somewhere, you don't want it. And uh, <laughs> so in doing that, it made me think about this, you know. Throughout the Bible, it talks about we're in a battle, right? It's, it's spiritual warfare, right? 
Would we go into battle naked? We go into a, a war naked? Because that's what we're doing. You know, as we, as we just check off the boxes and we don't have the spiritual armor of God on at all times, and we're going out there and we're wondering why the devil is just kicking the church's butt these days, it's because we're going in naked. We don't have the armor of God on. We don't have the sword of the spirit. How are we expected to fight with no armor and no weapon? You know, how much are we reading our Bible? How much are we praying? Those are the tools we need to go and combat. You know, there's the home front. I consider church and in your house the home front. Well, that equips you for going out and doing the battle in the world. You know, those are where you supply. That's where you make your armor. That's where you strengthen your, your sword skills. You know, you can pick up a sword and try and swing it around, and if I go up against the sword master, I'm going to get my butt kicked. But if I train with that sword, if I pick it up every day and I know the weight of it, how to handle it, how it swings, I'm able to use that in battle effectively and efficiently. And then when we do have those battles, we do have those things that blindside us. When the enemy is attacking us, we're able to use it and combat, not just in a defensive mode, but in an offensive mode. For so long, for so many decades now, the world has been attacking the church. The enemy has been attacking the church. And we've slowly just, we take another step back and another step back and another step back. And it's getting to the point here in the, in the States where there's a cliff behind us. We can only get pushed so far. And we're going to have to stand and fight and choose a side. Because the, the middle ground, the gray areas are becoming less and less. For a long time, I think it was just, you know, kind of the gray areas. And I mean, the, the things you see in the church now that the devil has his fingers in, the things that we're allowing in, the things that the world, like you just look at the world. It's crazy the things that we see here in the last 10 years that have happened. And that's only going to get worse. The dark is going to grow darker. The light has to grow lighter. But where are we going to be standing in that? I heard a good, uh, I can't quote it verbatim, so forgive me for those of you that do know it, but there was a preacher from China that came to the States and, you know, was touring around and seeing all the buildings and all the programs and the VBSs and the Wednesday night groups and all this and all the things we had. And his comment was, man, it is amazing all you can do here without God. Because we do. We do a lot of stuff in the church without God, without allowing him to come in and be a part of what we're doing and asking him what he wants, following the traditions of man rather than what the Holy Spirit wants to lead the church to do. In Luke 6.39 Jesus is telling another parable. He also told them a parable. <clears throat> Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? 
How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take out the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. You know, to help others, we first got to fix ourselves. You know, we can't expect the world around us to change. We can't expect our communities to change. We can't expect our church, our families. We can't expect ourselves to change, which is where it all starts is with us. Unless we go before God and repent, ask him to remove all the stuff in our lives that's, that's taking our focus away from him. He was saying, the church, this church wasn't called evil. It didn't have any lists of evil sins that they were a part of. But what did it have? It had a complacency, and it didn't have a relationship with the king. It had religion. The one thing that Jesus was so adamant against when he was walking the earth was the religious spirit. And those, those things in our life, you know, for me personally, I went through the alcohol. I went through living the, the lifestyle that the prodigal son would live. And then now I got to be careful of churchy things where I get so wrapped up into, I got this Monday night, I got this Tuesday night, I got this Wednesday, I got this and this, and I'm, I'm so caught up in church things that I forget to go to Christ in the morning. I forget to read my Bible. I forget to pray. All those are good things. They're great things. They're noble things. But nothing in our life can be put before a relationship with Christ. That's it. We have to be seeking the wisdom of the Holy Spirit daily. Without that, we're just doing our own thing. You know? (laughs) This one rocked me when I heard this. When I was coming back to the Lord, I was listening to this podcast and it was on disciple making. And the guy was, you know, that's, that's what we're called. Jesus says, go and make disciples. He doesn't say for the pastors or for the youth leaders or for those that are good evangelists, go and make disciples. He says, everybody, we're all to be making disciples in one form or another. And the, the speaker was talking about the difference between make, making one disciple and a thousand we don't know that when we get to heaven, you know, until we get to heaven, what the, the heavenly impact of it is. But he said, I bet you anything, there's going to be a huge difference when you get to the gates of heaven, the difference between zero and one. And that rocked me. Like, how many disciples have I made in my life? How many people have I shown the light of Christ to? How many people have I led to Christ? How many people have I shown the love of Christ to and helped build them up and teach the word to them? Like when I heard that, it just changed my life. Like I got to do something because right now my bank account's at zero. And righteousness starts with us, the individual, by going before God and just asking him, God, what is it in my life? You know, he wants to give us salve for our eyes, medicine for our eyes. God, show me in my life what it is that I'm putting before you. We can be blind to it, you know? (laughs) 
I was doing really good in life. Everything was going good. I had some men ministries. I was, had men's group going. Everything was good. Serving the Lord. Single. And then God sent Lisa into my life. And oh my goodness, did all sorts of blind spots start coming up in my life that I didn't even know were there. And I was selfish. I was prideful, self-centered. <laughs> I'll go. There's a longer list, but we won't get into it. You know, but we ask God, we ask the Holy Spirit to reveal those things to us. Lord, what is it? Truly with a heart that wants to see, not like, oh, God, show me. And then like, no, I really don't want to see. Like truly humbling ourselves before God and saying, God, show me. Because he's going to reveal if you ask him with a true repentant heart, he'll show you what those things are. And then it's what you do with him. Because he will reveal those things to us and he will ask for them too. I can remember one time back when I was still singing, I was like, God, what else in my life am I I not giving you? My dog. You know, God brought him into my life. He was a a great companion when I was alone and I needed it. And he said, I want Wayne too. It's things I didn't even think about, but he wants everything. He wants us to just open up our hands to where nothing is ours anymore. In the next chapter in Revelation, it goes through the throne room and the elders that are the 24 elders that are sitting around the throne of God worshiping him. And they all have crowns, crowns that God gave them, the crown of life, and they take it off and they give it back to him. Like that's what we should be doing with everything in our life. Anything that God gives us, we should be taking it and just, God, give it. Here, it's yours. What do you want me to do with it? Sell it all? Okay. Give it all away? Okay. Some of it's hard. Some of it could be our families, where we put our family in a pedestal up above God. You know, our sports teams. Netflix, Candy Crush. You said there wasn't the evil in the church, but all these little things could be, how much time are we spending on our phones? Now, I heard it once, the... They went to uh, India, I believe, and were just astounded by all the, the pagan worship, you know, the sacrificing of chickens on the altars and things like that. And my sister-in-law's uh, Hamong, and they still, her parents still do sac- sacrifices of chickens to their gods. And in their room, in their living room, the couches are set up and the altar is there. There's no TV. The altar is the centerpiece of the house. What happens when you walk into the average American home? What's the centerpiece of the house? Everything's around that. Not saying any of those things are bad, necessarily, but what are we using them for? What is our focus? Are we spending eight hours on Netflix binge-watching and then doing our daily devotion five-minute verse in the morning? It starts with us and then our families. If we have families that are just beat up with prodigal sons and daughters and rebellion, we should probably look to ourselves to see what the problem is. Get ourselves right with God. Ask him for help. Ask the Father for help. And then it spreads to our churches. 
and our churches, to our communities, and our communities, to our regions, our state, our nation. You know, are we changing this community in the five cities? Do we have a heavenly impact here in the five cities? That they're going to be, man, Oak Park's bringing people to the kingdom. Our angels celebrating for what we're doing here in bringing people to the kingdom. To those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. I, I, I grew up in the church, but I didn't come to know the Lord until I was 18 at Hume Lake. And there was a time, it wasn't the altar call. The, our cabin counselor, the last night said, go out into the woods, find a quiet spot, don't get caught because you're not supposed to be out. Just kind of like, oh, he's telling us to do some, some rebellious stuff. So I went out there, whatever, it was out underneath the stars and just asking God to speak to me. And I just remember this this overwhelming euphoric feeling that came upon me that still to this day indescribable. And that's when I truly asked Jesus into my heart and to be my Lord and King. And it wasn't two months later that I moved down here that I fell into the partying and slow. Fell into the the beer pong games and the, the binge drinking life and all that. Going to school, college kid. And all throughout my years, God was constantly thumping me in the back of the head. Come back to me. Come back to me. Come back to me. Come back to me. I'd get a DUI. Come back to me. No. I'd get in trouble with the law. I'd get into a fight. Do something stupid when I was drunk. Come back to me. Come back to me. For 13 years, I said no. And God finally got my attention with a severe injury at work that almost took me out. Even through that, it took me six months later with a shotgun in my hand one night in my trailer because I was about to end my life that finally turned my, my rebellious spirit towards him. But he was trying to get my attention. He was disciplining me the whole way. Come back to me, come back to me, come back to me. What are those situations in our lives where we know God's tapping on us? We know he's tapping on our shoulder. He's saying, hey, come back to me. The father wants to have a relationship with us. He wants to sit with us. He wants to talk with us. He wants to dine with us. And it can get rough. God's discipline is not a fun thing. But his wrath is even worse. You get one but the, the latter will come sooner or later. And the repenting, just turning, turning, looking towards Christ with our hearts and our minds centered towards Christ, what he wants, not what we want. Forsaking all the things of the world, no matter how good they are or how innocent they seem. You know, the The part-time Christianity is not going to cut it in the days we're going into. You know, we see the hatred towards the church. We see the, the conforming of some churches into things that are completely against what the Word of God says. 
And again, that line's being drawn, the black and white, the sheep and the goats. It's happening all around us. And if we don't have an all-in, sold-out, surrendered lifestyle to Christ, we won't make it in the end. Whether Christ comes back in seven years or 70 years, the way the nation's going, we'll be seeing it sooner rather than later. You know, what's, what's a thermometer do? Hmm? Checks the, te- checks the temperature, right? What does a thermostat do? So are you a thermostat or a thermometer? When you walk into a room, do people know that you're filled with Christ, that you're a Christian? Or do you just adapt to the temperature of the room? I heard that. That was another one that just rocked me. I was like, poof. Man, because it is, there's so many times I get caught up in it too, you know, when I was at work, you know, with welders, the, the F word is used quite a bit. It's just a common language. It's a term of endearment. And, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, you know, and getting caught up with it, I would have my, my early days of coming back to the Lord was, you know, I'd have my church family and I had a really nice clean mouth. And then I'd go on Monday or Tuesday, go to work and then get in the shop and then things would come out of my mouth. And it's like, oh man. I adapted to the temperature. I didn't set the temperature in the room and hold to my integrity and my standard. I adapted to the temperature. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. It's in Luke 9.23. Again, it's that all in, sold out, surrendered. I can remember my life when, when I finally just got tired of, I would give God some things, but I would hold back others. I'd say, God, you can, have, you can have all the bad stuff. You can have all the stuff that I don't want that's causing all the problems in my life. Sure, take all that, but I want to keep this because it's still fun. It's not super bad. When I finally just opened up my hands and said, God, you take it all, man, the work he started doing in my life was amazing. And it's only to his glory that it happened. Because I know what I'm like when I take control. I did it for years and nothing good came out of it. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? First Peter. It starts with us. He's going to start disciplining us. He's going to start correcting us, especially as the days grow the way we are. God's going to remove things from his bride, his church, that aren't supposed to be there, the impurities of it. Because in the end of Revelation, Christ comes for a glorious, spotless, white bride. The church is made pure. The church is done away with all the evil and all the, the things that are not of Christ. You know, I look at what COVID did. A lot of times people were 
were so downtrodden by what COVID did, the church, you know, I can remember sitting in here and there was maybe 30 people. And it was like, man, this is, this is bad. <laughs> you know, everybody's online. The fear was rampant. A lot of people left the church and didn't come back. But God brought so many other new faces in here. God shook the church up with COVID and said, are you really going to hold strong when things get bad? And a lot of people walked away. They say somewhere around 40% of the church walked away and didn't come back. In my mind, maybe being a little more critical, but I think those are people that weren't really of the church to begin with. They were just going through religion and checking the boxes and saying, I'm an American, I'm supposed to go to church. Sounds kind of harsh, but I'm glad they're gone. Because when the times get rough, I want those battle-hardened Christian brothers and sisters standing by my side. Because God's going to shake things up more, I guarantee you. And we need to be ready for it. Another one I just heard recently was, if you were arrested today for being a follower of Jesus Christ, would you be convicted in a court of law of your peers or would you be acquitted due to lack of evidence? There's a whole book, whole Bible of what we're supposed to be about. So if somebody could go in there, open it up, seeing, hey, this is what you're supposed to be doing, and look at our lives and say, is this what you're doing? Would we be found guilty or innocent of being a follower of Christ? That was another one that just shook me. I was part of the thing, the timing got messed up. I wanted to come right at the door, but in the transformation, it changed. But verse 20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and dine with him and he with me. Again, Christ isn't kicking in the door. He could. He's asking to come in. He's saying, please let me in. I want to come in and sit down and have a meal with you. I want to know you. I want to see how you're doing. I want to help you. He's knocking. Are we listening? I said, 13 years of my life, I could continually hear the Lord in my life, and I refuse to answer that door. And I had so much fear and anxiety because I knew it was the Lord. And I knew what the Bible said about those who ignore it, and I did it anyway. That was my rebellious heart. That's how hard set my heart was against God. I'm just so grateful that he didn't stop knocking. Again, he's knocking, he's counseling, he's asking, he's pleading for us. He's not demanding. But make no mistake, There will come a time where he's not going to knock. And there will come a time where he's not going to counsel. He's going to demand. When Christ returns, it says every knee will bow, whether you believe in him or not. At that point, the choice is out of your hands. It's such a great gift that he has given us. 
we truly think about the king of the universe wanting to just have a relationship with us, you know? Like in a very small, minuscule way, think about the president of the United States, right? Leader of the free world. He doesn't want to have dinner with you. He doesn't care. Any of them, either side, red or blue, neither one of them care about you. But the king of the universe wants to have a relationship with you. Like that's a beautiful thing that we just, we ignore. So are we ignoring that? Are we too distracted to even hear it? Has our lives been filled up with so much busyness and so many things that we can't even hear what God is saying to us? So I guarantee you that's one of the biggest tools in the enemy's tool bucket. Yeah, there's, there's all the drugs and the alcohol and the sexual immorality. Those are the, the easy ones to get. But the busyness, I heard somebody say last year, busy, being under Satan's yoke. How much stuff do we fill in our daily lives of soccer meetings, football practice, PTA meetings, vacation, Netflix? Sorry for those of you that watch Netflix, but I can just remember binge watching it and just takes up so much of your life you don't even notice it. YouTube shorts, oh, just one more, just one more. TikTok, whatever it is. How many of those things are just eating our time away from God? We go seek counsel from a wise and almighty God, or we could watch stupid cat videos, <laughs> which are like my Achilles heel. I don't know why, but stupid cat videos crack me up. Are we letting in God long enough to have a meal and then kicking him out? Heard somebody say that once and it was just like, man, like when we say our prayers and, you know, kind of having our five minute morning devotional before we rush out the door and go do whatever our busyness is. Like, it's like if you invite a guest over or somebody invites you over for dinner and you come in, you sit down, you scarf your meal down and you get up without even saying a word to them and you walk out the door. Like if we did that to somebody in real life, like that would just be the rudest thing ever. And we probably would never invite them back for dinner again. But how many times are we doing that with God? He wants to feast with us. In Isaiah 25, 6, it says, on this, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, a rich food, full of marrow, full of aged wine, well-refined. Like there's going to be a wedding feast one day that's just going to blow our minds when Christ comes for his bride and there's the wedding feast and the marriage supper. Like that's what we should be looking forward to is that day. You know, I hear in the, the gospel, what is the gospel? And people say, oh, it's Christ, Christ came and, and the virgin mother and he died and he rose again. And they stop right there. All those things, they're beautiful things. They are part of the gospel. 
But I think the one thing we truly leave out in the gospel is Christ is coming back for us. There's that hope, that longing. Like if you look at the world right now the way it is and didn't know Christ was coming back and I didn't have that reassurance in the Bible that he is who he says he is, the one who is faithful and true, I wouldn't have any hope. I would probably go back out there and live the life I was because without Christ, then why? But we have that hope that he is coming back for us. He's gonna return and he's gonna just destroy all the wickedness in this world and restore this world to where it was before. And we're gonna walk with him and be with him in his presence in a restored earth. Like it's a beautiful thing. Are we living that way? The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, I was reading through the other churches. To the one who conquers, every single church. To the one who conquers. To the one who conquers. There's so much language in the Bible of perseverance, steadfastness, long-suffering. This isn't an easy walk that it is to be a Christian. It isn't an easy thing to pick up our cross daily and follow him. We're preached to in a lot of modern day preaching that it is just this nice, easy, fluffy white cloud we ride on. That's not the case. If it is, you might not be doing it right. We, we need to be all in. We have to be armored up. We have to be living that life that is just sold out to Christ, ready to conquer. Because the days are growing short in this country. I'm not saying Jesus is coming back tomorrow. But I am saying that the walls are closing in around the church. I could get into a long story. If you want to come up to me afterwards, I can tell you a lot about the laws that are in place or being put in place right now that are going to squeeze the church out. You know, my, uh, my brother lives on a ranch back home and they have severe hog problem. For any of you that hunt, no. I mean, you could sit out there all day with your buddies and shoot pigs all day and you won't put a dent in the population. He found out this way of doing it is you put grain on the ground and you let the pigs come in and eat. And then you build one side of a fence, more grain, another side, more grain, another side. The pigs get used to it. They don't realize that they're walking into the trap. And then one day you build a gate, put more grain in there, wait till it gets to be about 30 or 40 pigs, and you shut the gate on them. And that is what's happening right now to the church. We don't even realize the legislation that is going on right now. The walls are being put up around us and we are being boxed in. And if we don't stand for Christ, we're going to go conform to the world. We'll deny Christ. Peter sat there. Peter walked with Jesus and said, I will never deny you, Lord. I will die for you. And he denied him three times. This is a man that knew, that touched Jesus, that saw the miracles and he still denied him. If 
we just go through the motions when the day comes when we're asked to stand for Christ or die, or stand for Christ or we're going to take your kids, go look in California legislation, AB 957. I'll let you do your own research on that. They're coming for the kids. It's not conspiracy theory. If we don't strengthen ourselves right now, if we don't put on the full armor of God by getting into prayer, getting into his word, by fellowshipping, by growing bonds with each other, we're not going to stand in the end. Lukewarm Christianity will not last through the trials that are to come. I wish I could put it another way, but it won't. It's just my, my plead to you is to not just take this as another sermon and walk out of here and go to lunch and talk about the weather or talk about the football season that's starting up or talk about politics. I beg you to go home and dwell on this and sit before God and say, God, where in my life am I not serving you? Because we need it, church. I need you. When that day comes, I need battle-hardened brothers and sisters standing by my side to help build me up, to help lift me up, to help encourage me. So many of you have encouraged me today with your prayers, with your, your text messages, and just saying you're behind me. You don't know how much that did for me. We're going to need that for all of each other. When the world starts coming after us, we're going to need each other more than ever. Matthew 22, 5. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fatted calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. And right here, but they paid no attention to him and they went off, one to his farm and another to his business. The king's beckoning us, he's calling us. Are we going to forsake the, the feast of the king for our business, for our, our daily lives, for all the luxuries of the American way? Are we going to accept that invitation? He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. God's talking to us. He always has been. Are we listening? I mean, are we, are we denying Christ for all the pathetic things this world has to offer us? And the things that Christ gives are so much more than we can even imagine? He loves us. He wants to dine with us. He wants us to come in. He wants us to be a part of his feast. 
He wants to fellowship with us. He wants to counsel us. He wants to give us wisdom. In James, it talks about ask. Ask the Father for wisdom. He wants to give it to us. But we have to ask for it. We have to seek it. Ask Tay and the team to come back up. As we prepare for a communion and remembering what Christ did for us, you know, he came, he died a horrible death on a cross that we could have this feast with him. In Matthew 26, 26 to 29, he says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after a blessing, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and we give it to them. He gave thanks to them saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of this vine until the day that I come when I drink it when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. He went through all that, the suffering, the dying, and then not even going to partake of that feast until he does it with us again, where he's with us again. He's denying himself that until he's with us again. I just think that's such a beautiful thing. So as we prepare for communion, Just search your heart. Just ask God, repent of anything he brings up to you. And just give him thanks for this wonderful gift we have. For it truly is a wonderful gift. We can't buy it. All of our money won't be able to buy anything from him, but we can come to him with hearts that are repentant. And he'll give it to us, free of charge. He already paid the price. The price has been paid on the cross and he wants to give it to us. He wants to feast with us. He is a loving God and he wants to be with us. So if you just come forward and we'll, uh, we'll get ready to take communion.